share something with you um, that um, I just spoke to Farrell Graves. And for those of you who may not have gotten the communications, uh, his wife Lucille died this weekend. And uh, Farrell very much appreciates all of you. Uh, Farrell told me to let all of you know that uh, he's very thankful for all the love and care that you've shown. And he appreciates it very much. Right now, what, what he knows is that the funeral will be this Friday here at the church building. I don't think the exact time has been set yet. Uh, he thinks afternoon. But we'll, we'll find out between now and Friday. And uh, he told me that uh, uh, Bill Sherrill, who some of you will know, will be here to do the service. And that seems very appropriate. And so... Uh, Anyway, keep him in your prayers. He asked for your prayers. Uh, that's uh, that's going to be that's a huge adjustment, and I know y'all understand that. But thank you. Uh, let me just say for him, thank thank you for all your kindness, and uh, it is great to see this congregation behave and act like a loving family once again. And so, uh, let's pray just for a moment, Father. We ask that you would uh, be with Farrell. Uh, I pray that you'd give him comfort. I pray that he will know that uh, his loneliness is nothing compared to your love. And I pray that he knows that we are here even though we are a poor substitute for the friendship of his wife. And Father, I pray that um, you would continue to bless them. And Father, we thank you for this uh, for this family and for the love that we share for one another. And Father, I pray that you'd be with every single person here who demonstrates and reflects your love in reaching out to one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, on the other side of stories then, I had the, the joy of being a part of our uh, children's ministry trip yesterday. Alyssa organized a uh, group that uh, was the 4th, 5th, and 6th graders, and they went to Branson yesterday. And, uh, and I, I got to see my son because he works at the Sight and Sound Theater, and so they saw the story of Samson, and it was, uh, it was great. And, and one of the little boys who's actually a friend to, to one of our boys here, he said, I never knew this story. So he heard it for the first time and saw it dramatically played out. Now, I don't just mention Samson as an accident. I mention it as part of what we're talking about with basics. And the basic that we're going to discuss tonight is empowerment. Because we're looking at the basics of the spirit and of God's spirit. And last week we, we discussed what is a spirit. Well, now we're going to talk about what these spirits do. And what the spirit of the Lord does. And it it's really great if you... Go to the Sight and Sound Theater and you watch the story of Samson. They, um, of course, one of the things they'll tell you is they have this little comedic fellow who comes out and he's, he wants, you know, he, he's on a donkey and he's doing all this kind of stuff and it's just, he's, he's full of laughs and he's the warm-up act and he tells you that this is a fictional presentation based on a true story. So you know that they've taken some liberties, obviously. And um, 
there are moments, and at sight and sound, what they do is they use the props, and they use the lights, and they use the special effects, and it all happens right there live on stage. Any time that Samson has one of those moments of strength, or any time that he has one of those moments where he does something supernatural, you will see these lights, and they look like, uh, they look like a, a mist or cloud or electricity or something, and they will come from all around, and they'll just land right on Samson. And, uh, and he's just all of a sudden overpowered by it all. And there's one stunning scene towards the end of the first act. And uh, a lot of the little guys, they loved that because there's, uh, well, let's just say things blow up. And, the, uh, and it's, because uh, I don't want to spoil it, but it is fantastic. And that little effect where the Spirit of the Lord will come upon him and spoilers, uh, he gets a haircut in the story, if you didn't know that, but when that happens, that spirit goes away, and you see it represented as this energy, and it's something special. Well, what does the text say about that? Is there anything to this? I think there is, and I think whoever put this together was thinking about these things. Take a look with me at um, Judges chapter 14. Uh, in Judges chapter 14, about, you'll get a kick out of the way they do this story where he marries the, uh, uh, no one ever gets the joke. I got to say this, I've seen this enough. Uh, no one ever gets the joke in there because he meets this girl from Timnah and, uh, you know, and it, oh, it's just so moony and this little girl is just like, oh, I love you and everything. And so, and so uh, he goes, um, she goes, what's your name? And he goes, I'm Samson. And he goes, what's your name? And she says, Jabalusiri. And then he, she runs off and he goes, isn't that a beautiful name? And then, no, it's weird, you know, and nobody ever gets it, Jabalusiri. And so, um, I don't know. There you have. Anyway, in the midst of this story, you get to verse 5. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. And as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, Suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done, and then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. So right in the midst of this, there's this moment where the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. It seizes him. It it takes control of him. You, you see this same phrase again, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Uh, you will see it um, when uh, the, uh, the Philistines cheat, and in verse 19, they figure out the answer to his riddle. And so Samson has to pay off the debt, which is uh, uh, 30 uh, changes of clothing. Verse 19, then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home. Uh, Once again, if you look at chapter 15, verse 14, the Philistines came toward him, Shouting, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. And finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. 
Samson can perform these supernatural feats of strength because the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. So one of the basics is that the Spirit of the Lord has this role in empowering people to do things. Now we're going to look at a few more examples here just in the Old Testament before we talk about New Testament next week. Uh, I don't think that's a big distinction, but I think there's things to notice that the Spirit of the Lord, and by the way, Samson does not, he, he, can't, he does not summon the Spirit of the Lord. He is not able to channel or harness this. He does as the Spirit of the Lord directs him, that when this strength comes upon him, he, he uses it as it needs to be used. But obviously you have uh, some examples here in Judges, and Samson just being the most obvious one, where the Spirit of the Lord empowers him to do greater things than he could do on his own. Now, another story of Holy Spirit or Spirit of the Lord empowerment that I particularly find interesting is in 1 Samuel chapter 11. This is one of the stories of Saul. And um, Saul has just been made the king. Um, After his, it's not really a coronation, But uh, after he becomes king and he's anointed, it's really rather dull. Uh, No one really cares. This is their first king. This is the king they wanted. Samuel's their leader. But Saul becomes king, and there's not much to it. Uh, If you look at the end of chapter 10, uh, well, first of all, uh, Saul doesn't want to be there. He's out hiding among the supplies. Uh, there they are, they're looking for their great king, and he's out there, you know, hidden behind a, I don't know, a sack of potatoes or something, you know, he's like, oh, I don't want to be, you know, and he, he's just kind of wandering off, and they have to drag him into the ceremony, and here's our king, and he doesn't really want to be there, um, and uh, the people shouted, long live the king, and Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship, now that's wonderful. Uh, you know, this guy didn't want to be here. They all say, long live the king. And then what do we get? We get a business meeting. Samuel goes on and on. Here are the rights and duties of kingship. And, you know, after they've had this big long live the king moment, you can see them all just, you know, their eyes rolling back in their head. Uh, they, they don't care about this. They just want the party. He wrote them down on a, on a scroll, deposited it before the Lord. And then Samuel dismissed the people to go on to their own homes. It's sort of like the end of Sunday worship, you know. Everybody's like, let's get to the ending, let's get to the ending, you know. Let us stand and sing, let us stand and sing. And so they're, they're wanting all of this just kind of getting over with because they're ready to go home and waiting for that uh, elder or somebody else who says, you're dismissed. Saul also went to his home in Gibeah accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God has touched. But some scoundrel, this is, you've got to love this guy, some scoundrels. There's scoundrels out there said, how can this fellow save us, you know? I mean, after it's all over in this big pageantry and they want a king and everything, someone goes, well, he's a great choice, you know? It's like they just elected him king, and it's like, you know, this is not going to work out well. You've got to, that, that's the person that causes all the problems everywhere right there. But, um, you know, and, 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 and he's king now. And this, these scoundrels say this, and Saul just shrugs like, hmm. What a king. Great king there. But it's chapter 11 where things change. It's not at the coronation ceremony. It's when Saul has to act. We have this fellow named Nahash. Um, 
And uh, he's, he's a particularly villainous character. And uh, he goes to the men of Jabesh and he says, um, or all the men of Jabesh said to him, make a treaty with us and we'll be subject to you. They're saying, just leave us alone. So Nahash the Ammonite said, I'll make a treaty with you, but on one condition. I get to gouge out the right eye of every one of you and bring disgrace on all of Israel. This is particularly cruel and nasty and evil. He wants to poke out everybody's right eye. He wants to disfigure people. Well, they're thinking about it, actually, because this guy is so mean and so powerful. The elders of Jabesh said to him, well, give us seven days and we can send you messengers throughout Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, we'll surrender to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and reported these terms to the people, they all wept aloud. They, I mean, th- there's probably the same scoundrels that said, what's Saul going to do for us? And um, Saul comes in from the fields. He's the king and he's acting like a farmer. And he said, what's wrong with everybody? Why is everybody weeping? And so they repeated to him everything that the men of Jabesh had said. Well, you know, Nahash is out there and he wants to poke everybody's eye out. And I guess it's a pretty good deal. At least we'll have one good eye. Saul, now here's the moment. When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him and he burned with anger. He took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces, sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel proclaiming, This is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Then the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out together as one. When Saul mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 300,000, and those of Judah 30,000. Saul doesn't do anything supernatural here, like, like with Samson. But there is a almost supernatural change Hearing what what these outsiders, these Ammonites, want to do to the people of Israel, Saul is fired up. He gets angry, but but before it's described as his own anger, it is described as the Spirit of God coming upon him. Here we see the Spirit of God empowering a man who had no intention of being king, a man who's hiding out when the coronation is going on. Here you see the Spirit of God empowering him to be a leader. Our greatest leaders are not always those who want to be leaders. It's the ones that God empowers and calls and raises up. Saul just seems to notice through the Spirit of God that there's just something wrong about all this. And he stirs his people to act. And, um, and then when we go down to verse 12, the people said to Samuel... Who was it that asked, shall Saul reign over us? Uh Uh-huh. Turn these men over to us so that we may put them to death. Scoundrels have got big mouths, and uh, they shouldn't have been saying. Now Saul is, uh, his, his polling numbers are up. But Saul said, and this is also the empowerment of a leader. He says, no, no one will be put to death today, for this day... The Lord has rescued Israel. Saul's not taking the credit for this. Saul's not, Saul's not putting this on him. He is simply describing himself as God's agent, as the Lord's agent that used him to deliver Israel. And, and, and that's an important distinction that Saul recognizes, at least at this point, that God empowered him to be the leader that they needed. 
Let's, uh, let's take a look at another one, Isaiah 61. This will be familiar to us. Prophet Isaiah um, writes these words, and this is part of his written testimony that's intended for, for later generations, but uh, Jesus will read this scripture in the synagogue, and uh, you'll see that in Luke chapter 4, and he'll apply this to himself. So here's the, here's the prophet announcing, <clears throat> the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. It's that turnaround again. Just as the Spirit of God empowered Saul to save Israel, Spirit of God empowered Samson to save himself from the Philistines. Now the Spirit of the Lord is upon Isaiah. And, and in the time of Jesus, Jesus is going to say, this is me. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. And there are these promises of, of hope and restoration and healing uh, for those who are, they feel left out or forgotten by God. It's going to be a turnaround. Is You can sum total all of that. I mean, you can look at each one in detail. Good news for the poor, uh, healing or binding up the brokenhearted, freedom for captives, sight for blind, or uh, release from darkness for the prisoners, however you want to look at it. But all of this is good news. The Spirit of the Lord is empowering not just the proclamation of good news, but the power to back up that proclamation of good news. Now, you're going to see another interesting power of God and empowerment of his spirit in Ezekiel chapter 2. Um, first of all, let me say that Ezekiel is a rather odd prophet, okay? Um, Isaiah is something of a scholar. Jeremiah is very much a... Um, He's like a truth-telling preacher, Jeremiah is. He comes out and he lays down the truth that is not a popular truth, but it's the truth that needs to be heard. And he's, you know, he calls upon, you know, Jeremiah's over there at the temple of the Lord saying, you trust in this temple, don't trust in this temple. You need to trust in the God of the temple. This is the, you know, he, he preaches all of this truth that they need to hear and they won't hear. Ezekiel is just, unusual okay <clears throat> and Ezekiel will do things that make no sense um, he sees visions that are hard to understand at first um, you know I mean look at just as an example and this is one of the tamer ones Ezekiel chapter 5 now son of man take a sharp sword and use it as a barber's razor to shave your head and your beard now you know, this is this is the kind of preaching that will get you in trouble. But there he is in front of everybody. He's got a sword and he's giving himself a shave. And the guy thinks, this guy's lost it. But there's a meaning behind that. He's using these prophetic acts and this strange behavior to communicate something. And it may, in fact, be that the Lord is involved in that in a way that, that 
that we don't easily understand or explain. If you look at chapter 2 of Ezekiel, this is Ezekiel being called to be a prophet. And uh, the Lord says to him, Son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. And as he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. There's some theories that think that here Ezekiel's getting the power of flight. It never says anything of the sort. It's raising him to his feet. It's motivating him. It's energizing him. He's, he's being called into service, just like the vision of the dry bones, that the bones come together and then they get filled with flesh, but they don't live until they're filled with that spirit. And what happens to Ezekiel, he says, is going to happen to Israel, that they're going to get a new spirit of life. Uh, we'll look at that later when they get a new heart. And uh, that, again, is part of the basics of the Spirit. But um, God is sending Ezekiel to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation. Uh, move down to chapter 3, verse 10. He said to me, Son of man, listen carefully. Take to heart all the words I speak to you. Go now to your people in exile. Speak to them and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, whether they listen or fail to listen. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a loud rumbling sound as the glory of the Lord rose from the place where it was standing. And it was the sound of the wings of the living creatures brushing against each other, and the sound of the wheels beside them, a loud rumbling sound. It, may, it basically means that God's taking off in his chariot, okay? God's taking off to go. And Ezekiel has seen all of this as some sort of experience. The Spirit of the Lord lifted me up and took me away. And I went in bitterness and in anger of my spirit with the strong hand of the Lord on me. And I came to the exiles who lived at Tel Aviv near the Kabar River. And there they were living. And I sat among them for seven days deeply distressed. Ezekiel's experience of this spirit it's an overwhelming sensation that presses him into service. And he, he doesn't want to have to go to these rebellious people, but the Spirit of the Lord is moving him. It's as if he's not even in control, but he's being motivated and moved and led and, and pushed by this Spirit. It lifts him up and takes him there. He can't not help but obey. What we've looked at in these four examples are you see the Spirit of God in and by the way, this is not an exhaustive list of what the Spirit does, but you see the Spirit of God empowering Samson with abilities that he would not have otherwise. You see the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, coming upon Saul so that he can lead. You see the Spirit of God coming upon Isaiah to proclaim good news. You see the Spirit of God coming upon Ezekiel to move through him and to move him to do things that he may not do otherwise. And, and it's, it's an incredible task. I mean, it distresses him uh, what he has to do. But in all cases, the Spirit of the Lord is empowering these individuals to accomplish the Lord's purposes. This is not a power that we can channel or take or uh, you know, grab or somehow manipulate. It is the power of God working in people to accomplish his purposes. Again, this is not a comprehensive list. There's so much more you could probably look at. But seeing this and recognizing this will help us to recognize it in other places. Now that spirit, and, and I want to go into this next week, that spirit that, that comes upon the uh, apostles at Pentecost. And 
by the way, it's, it's the prophecy of Joel where God's spirit will be poured out on men and women and they'll prophesy. It's not just the apostles who receive the gift of the spirit. They receive the tongues of fire. But read the text of Acts 2 and the people are actually able to hear in their own languages. God is moving. His spirit is moving among the people. And then you see it more and more in Acts where the Spirit of God is moving and operating, and it goes where it wants to. Uh, and so Peter goes to Cornelius' house. Peter doesn't give Cornelius the Spirit. The Spirit comes to Cornelius, and Peter has to accept it. We'll do more of that next week. Uh, right now, and I guess that'll be empowerment part two. Right now, uh, we're going to sing this song. If you need to partake of the communion, it's prepared in room 100. Uh, let's stand, let's sing, and... Uh, Stan will lead us in prayer at the end.